spiritual privilege doesn't really guarantee automatic success in following God, right? So think about the experiences that Israel had, okay? And Paul lists them here, right? So they had actually seen the glory of God. Have you ever seen a glory cloud? Like the presence of God <laughs> in awesomeness, in the cloud, or anything like that. The Israelites had, right? They saw the glory of God. They were led by the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. Um, the Red Sea parted right before their eyes. You probably all have visions in your head right now of some movie you've seen of that, with Moses standing there and the sea going like this, or whatever the case may be. But they saw this. They had manna and food that was provided for them in supernatural ways. Um, they drank the water from the rock, right? This, all these miraculous things. They didn't just read about it or hear about it. They saw it. They experienced it. Um, but it didn't prevent them from giving uh, into temptation later on. Even though they had all these awesome experiences, these wonderful, incredible moments with God, after the cloud, after the pillar of fire, after the Red Sea moment, after all that food and manna and quail and water from the rock and deliverance from the Egyptians, they were defeated in temptation. In verses uh, 6 to 10 of this passage, Paul gives a warning that there are consequences. Moses kept reminding them and calling them and telling them and reminding them to repent and to follow God. But after a while, the warnings kind of fell on deaf ears. Um, the Israelites kind of turned Moses off, right? And so they give in to temptation. So Paul tells us that because of their idolatry and sexual immorality, 23,000 of them fell in one day. Um, the Bible's really clear that fornicators will not see the kingdom of heaven. It's a really clear, direct warning. Later on in that same passage, it says they tested God and they died of snake bites, right? And then the destroyer was sent amongst, amongst them with all the grumbling and the complaining. But there are actually consequences for sin. So, Paul points out that the Corinthians are pretty much guilty of the same sins. And the Corinthians gave in easily to the temptation of immorality and idolatry and grumbling against God. And he's trying to warn them. He's trying to say... Don't go there. <laughs> um, <clears throat> sin is an interesting thing because in the beginning when we sin, the sin might seem bad to us. We might be able to experience the contrast of, ooh, I shouldn't have done that. You know, um, We might experience that conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our hearts, saying, danger, Will Robinson, don't go near that, don't do that again. But we keep going back and back and back. And one of the consequences of sin is that we get handed over to it. God finally says, okay, fine. You want that more than me? Have at it. 
And then we become desensitized to it, and it becomes something that doesn't seem so bad anymore. And then it becomes increasingly normalized in our life and in our behavior and uh, in our interactions with others. And then we start comparing that sin to other people's sin, and it diminishes in our minds because we're really good at justifying what we want to do instead of what God tells us we need to do. So all these sins, all these temptations, they were common to the Israelites, they were common to the Corinthians, and they are common to us. Hebrews 4.15 says this, though, For we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus is the only one who was tempted and did not give in. Okay, We have all been seized by temptation of one form or another at one time or another. Many of us are probably battling temptation on a daily basis. And we know what that feels like when we are seized by that feeling of temptation. If we're honest with ourselves, at times, or perhaps even in an ongoing fashion, we have been defeated or are being defeated by sin and temptation. So this is why Paul tells the Corinthians, look at Israel, look what happened when full-on temptation is actively pursued. Like when we don't try to take that thought captive, when we don't try to submit it to Christ, when we don't repent and we just give into it and follow headlong after that temptation, look at what the consequences are. And Paul says, consider them, be wise so you don't repeat these things. some of the most common times that Satan comes to us is right after a mountaintop experience, right after we experience a breakthrough in our lives. You know, let's say there's a temptation you've been dealing with and you're finally at a place where you repent and you turn to the Lord and you say, I don't want that in my life anymore. Very soon after that, The evil one is going to come and try to tempt and try to lead you and lure you back into that. That's his M.O. Um, Look at Jesus. I know we looked at the scripture a couple of weeks ago. Jesus was baptized. He's affirmed in his identity by his father. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We hear the voice from heaven and then immediately he's in the desert being tempted by Satan at his very point of need. It's not any different for us. Have you ever experienced that mountaintop, gone to that Christian camp or that retreat or that weekend away with the Lord and then you come back into the normal patterns and the ruts and the habits of your life and all those things that you said are not going to do that anymore, all of a sudden you're right back into it again. You know, some of it's the environment around us, some of it's the people that we choose to keep around us. Does our Friday and Saturday night self match our Sunday morning self, someone once said. Finger points at me, too. (laughs) So Paul says in verse 12, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And he says to the Corinthians, These things happened to the Israelites as examples and were written down as warnings. This passage is designed to hit us. Just worm us in our seats a little bit. It's designed to wake us up 
Oftentimes in the church in North America today, we try to water down God's judgment on our sin and just focus on the stuff that we like, like love and mercy and grace. Love and mercy and grace are all real, but so is judgment, and we are all going to stand before God one day. And Paul is trying to clearly communicate the gravity of this to the Corinthians, that there's consequences for sin. The word for temptation that's used here in the passage comes from the Greek, which means persuaded or deceived. So it's not something that comes full on in our faces, right? Temptation kind of sneaks in from the side, comes in the back door. It might even come as something that we um, especially enjoy, or it might even come in as something that initially looks good on the surface, right? Um, you ever try to catch a fish with a bear hook? Sometimes it works on St. Albans Bay on white perch, but I don't know why. But <laughs> That's the only place I've ever had it work. There's usually something concealing the hook. There's some bait. There's something going on there that makes it look good. So I want to ask us today, what warnings have we been turning off? What warnings have we been receiving from the Holy Spirit or from uh, other Christians in our lives or something that keeps popping up and we keep saying, yeah, yeah, I'll deal with that later. I'm not strong enough to deal with that right now or I still love this sin too much to give it up to the Lord. What warnings have we been shutting off? We need to check our hearts. We've got to look within. We have to name those temptations that we are continually giving ourselves to. What are we replacing God with in our lives? And what are we attaching to instead of him? So what's the hope? Right? You just painted kind of a grim picture of judgment and consequences. So here's the hope. Here's the hope. Three things. The first one, the cross. Right now you're going, okay, yep, okay, pastor. The right answer is always Jesus. It is, Right? Christ knows what you face. He knows what you are facing right now. The temptation to give up on your faith and to walk away from it because other stuff seems like it makes more sense. The temptation to keep presuming upon God's grace and forgiveness because you still love the sin more than you really love your relationship with God and you're just assuming that's always going to be there. Uh, he knows what you attach to, he knows what you fall into, he knows what your individual rut is that maybe nobody else even knows about. And on the cross, Christ saves you and delivers you from all of that. He takes the penalty for the fact that you keep slipping into that rut, and he knows what you're wrestling with, and he is interceding for you right now in the presence of God the Father. So he provides a way out for us by his gift of being the substitute on the cross. Another way out, we see when Christ is tempted in the desert, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the word of God has power. Bring it to bear when you face temptation. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Somehow I learned that in King James and it's stuck in my head that way, Okay. But the word of God has power. And if we will read the word of God, even if you don't actively memorize it, if you read it enough, it's going to get in there. And the Holy Spirit is going to be able to use it. And you'll be surprised what will pop into your mind 
when you are faced with a temptation, if you will give God the split second to intervene instead of going full on following after that temptation. Another way out that God provides is through prayer. Jesus told the disciples right before his crucifixion, pray that you might not fall into temptation. Okay? This is the night before. He's telling them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. He's, asked, he's telling us that we need to pray and ask the Father to lead us not into temptation, to deliver us from the evil one, and to rely on God's power to free us from that temptation. We are not slaves to sin. Uh, there's a scripture that says, it is for freedom then that you have been set free. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So many of the sins that we're caught in that we end up riding in a rut for so long is because we do pop up out of the rut, but it's only briefly and then we slip right back in. We keep resubmitting ourselves to it. But the Lord wants us to know that we don't need to keep doing that. That Christ breaks the power of canceled sin in our lives. So God provides the way out for us through the death of his son, right? Through the cross, through the power of his holy word, through prayer, we will always encounter temptation. But just like falling into a rut, the more times that we resist that temptation with the power and the tools that God has given us, every time you do that, you're building a new rut, a good rut, a holy rut. You're building processes into your life and habits in place that it actually will get easier to resist temptation and the power of it becomes less and less and less over your life as you bring more and more of the power of Christ to bear against these temptations. You'll recognize it. You'll smell it coming a thousand miles away and say, I know what you're doing right there, Satan, and it's not working this time. I know whose I am and who I am. And you bring that word to bear. So, what's being used for temptation in your life? And how can God redeem it for good and free you from that temptation? As I was thinking about this, um, some of the really obvious ones are media and technology. Okay, we have everything at our fingertips just like that now. Um, you know, one of the big ones um, is pornography. The stats are something like 40% of professing evangelical Christian guys in attending churches are involved in some level of using pornography on a regular basis. Like that's one of these sort of secret hidden sins in the church that no one wants to talk about, but it's there. And it's a terrible rut, and it's really hard to get out of. And so, how can you use your technology for good rather than for evil? Um, there's an addiction to spending money online. You know, a lot of people do that. They get a real rise and a real joy out of spending a lot of money online and that sort of thing. And then it ends up harming their family and gets their priorities out of alignment. Um, there's also habits of spending so much time on our phones or on our devices that our family suffers. You know, have you ever been at a family gathering from people that haven't seen each other and everybody's sitting around in the living room maybe opening Christmas presents and half the people are staring at their phones? Yeah. Guilty. <laughs> I do it too, okay? But we're losing so much time and we're anesthetizing our brains and we should allow our minds to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and have holy relationships with one another. What kind of ruts are we in with these things? 
Um, some other ruts that we fall into involve pride, position, and power. You know, these can be really subtle because on the surface they look really good. Like, success and what it looks like to the world in the United States is really important to us, and how we look to others is really important to us. We might love the power of our position at work, or we're too settled into our position at a committee on church and don't want to give it up. Temptation to think that if we're not doing it, it's not going to happen. And if we don't do this, God must not be in control. <laughs> God is still in control. He will still work his purposes out, whether it's at church or in our secular jobs or whatever the case may be. And sometimes we get into thinking we're the only ones and we have to ride in and fix it all. God is the one who fixes, right? God wants us to realize that whether it's our job or our committee position or whatever the case may be, that we are holding that as a steward and that everything that we have comes from God and we serve at the pleasure of the Lord. So may we not let those things become temptations in our lives that take a higher place in our lives than our pursuit of God. We all have stuff. Maybe some other things are popping into your minds right now. Those are just some of the ones that I thought of. Um, but I just want to close with this advice and godly admonition that Paul gives Timothy, his mentee in the faith. And it comes from 1 Timothy. Let's see if I can read it in here. 1 <clears throat> Timothy chapter 6. And he lists off a whole bunch of things that are wrong, <laughs> that we shouldn't be engaging in. And we've just talked about some of those. And now... Paul says this in verse 11, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So we're talking about replacing ruts. What ruts are we getting rid of? What new habits are we looking to form with the help and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? So I want to invite us to pray together. <clears throat> Lord, we submit all that we are and all that we have to you. Forgive us, Lord, for allowing our pride, our ambition, our well-meaning thoughts and attitudes to get ahead of us and to get ahead of you on the throne of our lives. Lord, for those more obvious, dark, and secret sins and ruts that we have, we lay those before you now, God. We lay them at the foot of your cross. The weight of carrying them around is awful. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're sick and tired of slipping back into those same ruts again and again and again. So, Lord, we ask that you would lift us out of that muck. We know we can't do it on our own. We submit our will to you and we admit that there's no way in our own strength this will be conquered. Lord Christ, we take now your yoke upon ourselves. That joined with you, Jesus, we would be able to have victory over these things in our lives. Help us to no longer return to these things. Help us to no longer submit ourselves to the yoke of slavery that they are. And may our lives be a testimony and a testament to your power to break sin, to destroy addiction, 
to set us free, that we might live a victorious life in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's